I have the opportunity today to speak with Maria Boca Negra. She has been identified as a successful story, and she has been featured by Equity Reporting Project done by a group of journalists, and it has been pushed by Tina Griego, who is a senior journalist, and also Bert Hubbard. They have been working on these stories, bringing the numbers behind the American Community Survey that shows that, the Col that Colorado has the biggest gaps in the nation between white, black, and Latino, especially in education. But today we have the opportunity to speak with Maria Bocanegra, who is a successful story. And we want to feature it because we want to understand what were those key components that provided that support that you needed in order to become a successful story in education and as a Latino woman. Welcome to KGNU today. Thank you. Thank you, Rosana. I am very happy to be here and I'm really excited to talk about this topic because I do believe that it is something that needs to be um, lightning to be set on in order for our community to keep growing and succeeding, um, just like my story has. So. It's extremely unique, and I think that one of the key components of this these idea of understanding the numbers and who's behind those numbers was based on back in 2013, there was this data study called Losing Ground that Rocky Mountain PBS Special Investigation was analyzing uh, how this data was revealing that Black and Latino residents have been falling further and further behind their white counterparts. And the new numbers that are uh, coming now are showing even a bigger gap. And uh, in the face of that, I think that one of the things that we are noticing is that this last 10 years, things have been extremely difficult for our communities. And it's not easy. But in all that turmoil, you have found a way to be successful. And I think it is important to understand, first of all, your background and your family structure. And then if you can tell us about your schooling. So I am the oldest out of uh, four kids. I have three other siblings. I was raised in Guanajuato, Mexico, uh, a small rural community. It was a rancho, a really small town. Um, population was about 2,000 people. And the highest level of education attainable when I was living there was ninth grade. So uh, resources and opportunities for education were very limited. Um, my dad only completed a third grade. And my mom only completed the fifth grade. So they never really got the chance to attain higher education. And that was never really something that I knew was attainable for me just because I never, I've never had anybody in my family achieve higher education. I'm the first one on both my mom and my dad's side um, to graduate at college. And so for me, it was a huge, it was a huge journey uh, that I didn't know was possible. And, um, you know, I think the most important part for me was just kind of leading that road for my siblings who can also eventually achieve higher education. And, you know, that, and we can set that representation for others because I think as a first generation student, it's really hard to sometimes find a representation and 
see yourself succeeding in higher ed when you don't see people like yourself. So although it can be it can be really hard seeing it because you're the first one to attend college or to achieve higher education in general, um, you have to constantly remind yourself that because you are not seeing that representation that you need. There's one more reason for you to do it because you have to set the representation that others will need. So for me, that has always kind of been what kept me going through college and um, got me to that point. I think that is the key, eh? the lack of being able to see yourself in those positions of power on those uh, spaces, I'm going to say, spaces of uh, yeah. of achievement. And uh, if that was your motivation first, I really applaud it because that's key, I think, because you want to set an example so that others can follow. Because if, um, if you are not yeah. there, they're not going to be, it's simple. There's not, go, you're, if you're not at the table, you are part of the menu and you don't have a voice. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And, um, you know, growing up in a Hispanic household or very traditional, uh, as a woman of color, you don't really have a lot of options. So it's either the workforce or find a way that you can make something out of yourself and succeed, you know? And sometimes you just have to push yourself through it to really make something for yourself, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. <laughs> it does make sense. So you mentioned your, your siblings. How many uh, brothers, sisters do you have? So I have two younger sisters and a little brother. Um, my sister, Erminia, she just also graduated high school. So she is about to start college in the fall. And I am so excited for her. I actually got to attend um, orientation with her, the, this, not this past week, but the week before. Um, my parents couldn't attend because, you know, they both work and it was on a Monday. And um, I got the opportunity to, like, take her and her friend. And it was definitely a culture shock, I would say, just because attending UNC, UNC is a very diverse campus. You know, we... We have a lot of diversity. And even then, sometimes I would feel out of place, especially in the College of Business. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to see the representation. But at, at my school, she's attending by, at the school of mine um, this fall. And it was completely different from what I had already experienced at UNC. And, you know, I think my best advice I could give her was like, hey, this is going to happen. You're probably going to get culture shock. And I was just, Tell her over and over, it's going to be fine, it's going to be fine, you know. And I think Herb and I were kind of a little taken back by just the environment in general. And I had this gym and the occasion happened to me. So they split up all the students and they asked all the parents and guardians to go get lunch. And so I didn't know anybody there. All the parents were there. Um, and all of these were like white families. And, you know, I got my plate and I sat down. And then I left myself and I got, I specifically got a, a table where nobody was sitting because I didn't really want to interact. Or I didn't really know how to interact with all these people that I didn't really know. So I got a table by myself and I left my, I sat myself down and I went to get a drink of water or something. And when I came back to sit down, there was this, this couple sitting down, this white couple. And I could tell it was a little uncomfortable for them. They probably were like, what is she doing here? Who is she? Because I looked a little too young, you know? And then finally, the lady, 
he couldn't help but ask. He was like, I'm so sorry to to ask, but he looked me up and down and she was like, do you have a kid here or why are you here? And I was like, and you know, one of my biggest regrets was I should have just said, oh yeah, I have a daughter or something to see her reaction. But I was just like, oh no, I'm here with, with my sister. Attempt to how to bring her for the orientation. And she was like, yeah, I was just thinking you were too young for this. And I was like, no, definitely. And, you know, I continued just minding my business type of thing. And then um, another couple proceeded to sit down. And the entire time, um, these people, you know, I mean, they were, they were parents, so they had more in common than I did with them. But they were just talking amongst themselves. And a lot of them already had, like, kids going there. And there was their second kid, their third kid attending. For me, it was just kind of, I was very taken back by this environment, you know, like, there are very few people of color there and I was one of them and my sister also being one of them. And so just interacting, interacting with them and then just trying to process like, okay, these people are not used to seeing people like myself here and I am not used to being around people like this here, you know? It's taken so much and my sister has worked so hard for her to get to this point and attend this university. And for these people, it's just kind of like a regular thing. They already have kids they're generations of engineers they're generations of college graduates so it was definitely a new experience for me but yeah I think that was the most I'm sorry I went off topic no I think yeah, this is that, that topic was, that was just really I think this is that topic because you are bringing a reality a reality um, that is super clear your sister I'm guessing she had an, uh, a scholarship she had to get a scholarship in order to go to School of Mines. We're not talking a, about a, a cheap yeah. or easy university to, to get in. So she has the qualifications, and I'm pretty sure she has the support, the economic support to do this. So if you can explain that to us, because that is the key here. What you just uh, shared with me about this experience, this personal experience, being at School of Mines with your sister as she, you know, went to maybe an open house or something to introduce, you know, the students to, to this school, you experienced this reality that you were, you and your sister were the, maybe the only ones or just a few uh, of people of color in a, in a space that normally is a white space and how difficult it is, especially because we're talking about, um, a, you know, a, a school, the school of minds that is, in order to get there, you really need to have the qualifications and also you need to have the economic means to be able to attend to this school. So in, in this case, how is it that your sister was able to acquire this spot or get to this point? So actually, um, she has always been into science. She was actually top of her class. Um, she was full editorian. And for three years, she was the valedictorian, and her finding it was a little hard on her, but she still got a salutatorian. And um, she, last summer, actually, I took her to a summer camp at the School of Mind. And it was very, it was, I, I was so happy to take her because growing up, I didn't have um, an older sister, for example, you know, um, to take me to these places or attend these programs because my my parents were always working. My mom didn't know how to drive back then, so I didn't really have the means to like get around. Um, so for me, it was really cool that I was able to do that for her and drive her up there and be with her all the whole week so she can enjoy the the summer program at mine. Um, 
And it was a, a multicultural program. And, you know, my sister is very much, see, I'm more outgoing than her. And so I would ask, oh, like, is this your school? Because I could see it in her face that she was completely in the love of the university. She, I knew for sure she wanted to attend, but I, I asked her, I was like, hey, do you, like, do you think this is where you want to come? And she was very hesitant. She was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll think about it. You know, and I was like, oh, it's okay. You know, if you think that, if you feel scared, like, I know it's overwhelming. And I just don't think she wanted to talk about it much, but I knew that that's where she wanted to attend. Um, and so it it was really fun for her because it was a multicultural program. So she, had, she was surrounded by people like of color. And um, then finally in the fall, when she got accepted, she, she was like, well, you know, if I don't have enough money, I'm not going to attend. And it, is, it, was, it was really nerve wracking, even for myself back in the fall, because of course I wanted her to attend the university, you know? I attended USC because um, that was the most, basically the best choice for me at the time. But I wanted her to have all her options open and for her to really attend the university that she really wanted to attend, you know? And it was really nerve wracking. And so she got in, but we were just waiting on a scholarship. And she applied for, for a few scholarships. She applied to, to the Becher Scholarship, which is uh, kind of a full ride. They cover uh, kind of all costs of the university. And I would help her with her FH here and there. And um, it, was just, it was a really cool experience, I feel like, as an older sister, because I would be in class and I would be editing her essays. And then I would come home and like we would both be working on homework and she would be working on her essays. It was stressful in all kinds of ways, but it was definitely worth it. You know, like this is why I'm going to college so I could really know how to help you. You know what I mean? And so um, it was nerve wracking. And then I think it was um, back in February or I think February or March, she she got the the letter that she was one of the fi- semi finalists for Betcher, so she had to go interview in Denver. And I, I think it was, it was over spring break. I remember, you know, like we always have, it's it always been like her wasn't around my schedule and me working around hers because again, my parents can't be driving us around. They both work. They don't really, my mom doesn't drive that far either. So um, she asked me, she was like, hey, when is the best time for you to take me to my interview? And I was like, okay, I got seasons off for spring break. And this is the best day that I have opened. And then that's how we like, chose the date and I drove her to her interview in Denver and I still remember um we it was in a, in a like a, a hotel a building and I stayed in the lobby and I still had some homework that I that I was doing so I was doing my homework as she was doing her interview and it was a little nerve-wracking you know after that um I asked how she felt and she was like I Again, she didn't want to say it, but I was like, do you think you did great? She's like, I, I think I did okay. And I knew that she did. I knew it in my heart. I was like, I'm pretty sure she got it. But again, she didn't want to say it. And so we waited and she finally received it. And it was so emotional. I was so happy for her. But she got the scholarship. Um, and that was the way that she was able to attend mine. <laughs> Or that's so wonderful. Well, thank you for telling that story. I'm also tearing here, just imagining the two of you sitting there and just hoping to get a chance to be given an opportunity so that you can not only make a difference for yourselves, but make a difference for the whole community. 
So now that you have told me this, and I am saying for the whole community, because as a Latina, I know that we are a community-oriented culture, that if somebody is not doing well in our family, nobody's doing well. And that's the way we have been raised, and I'm pretty sure it resonates with you. So now I want to move to this idea that I think um, it's important for our listeners to understand how was your trajectory? How was that you were able to also get into the university that you got in? And, um, And then we can move towards other questions that I have for you about the differences that you see between um, Latino women and also Latino men and what you have observed. So if you can please share with us, how is it that you got into college and how was that experience? And explain to me, uh, you know, where is your college located? Yeah, so I, so going back before college, um, I never knew that college was, it was uh, kind of a far-fetched dream for me. It was never, it was something that I was always like, maybe yes, maybe not. But I always saw that I would attend community college first and then figure it out from there. Um, in the interview that I did with Tina, I remember I told her about this story when I was younger because I attended the University of Northern Colorado, which is located here in my hometown, Greeley. So um, growing up, my we would drive by the university all the time. You know, it's like in the middle of town. And, well, and we would always drive by like the Big Bear, which like the big statue that USC has. And I remember one time I told my dad, I was like, one day I'm going to come here. I was really, really like, I don't know if I was in middle school or a freshman in high school. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to come here one day. And um, my dad was like, this is only for rich people. So it's, thinking about it now makes me so emotional <laughs> because, you know, it was, uh, it was an opportunity that I had available to me. But um, I always think back at that moment because you know, like you said, growing up in um, in a Hispanic household in our community, we raised me oriented. And so, if you don't see somebody else do it before you, or if you don't see the resources available to you or other people around you, you don't think it's possible. You know. And so, my dad obviously um, he knew that this was it's college expenses. He always knew about it, and we'd only hear stories of maybe somebody's cousin who tried going to college and it got too expensive and they couldn't afford it and eventually they dropped out or something. So it was nothing, it was not really feasible for me. Um, and, but I was always involved in like college readiness programs in high school. Um, like I said, trio program, uh, dream team gear up. I was part of AVID for a couple of years. Programs that really kind of set you up to, to go to college. Uh, but you know, um, it's kind of like they students, but I think they know that not all of them are going to make it. And so it's kind of just giving all the hopes and all the support that you can to these students and see which one of them actually is able to make it. You know what I mean? Uh, um, so and I think that that's a really good point. Who, you know, what does it take in order for a person of color to make it, to graduate, to go through the whole process? and getting that piece of paper from your point of yeah, view. Yeah, and I think from my point of view, you know, I have always acknowledged that I have faced struggles in my life and my situation is very similar and yet very different from so many people. Um, 
But I also acknowledge the fact that I've had opportunities that others don't. You know, when I, my family finally, my family finally moved here in 20, 2010, it was because we were documented. We got our visa and I didn't have to worry about being undocumented in this country. That was an opportunity and advantage that I had over others in my community, you know? And um, also the fact that my dad has always had like a, a stable job. Um, yes, he's had to work a lot and uh, pay is not great, but um, he's always had the opportunity to keep his job. You know what I mean? Versus a lot of families in the community, sometimes they don't have the same story. Sometimes they lose their job. Sometimes um, it's hard and somebody gets sick and things change. So for me, that was another of my advantages. Um, and I think also just I had kind of this mentality where I had to make something out of myself just because of where I come from. You know, um, I think I think the big difference here also is you have to look at, at the way people are raised here versus people that come here and were raised in Mexico because you grew up with very different mentality. And uh, this is a little off topic, but when I when I was in college, I was working in the my freshman year I was working in the Mexican American Studies office at Front Desk, and we were talking a lot about these issues and about how a lot of the times you have more um, Mexican American people that came from Mexico going to college versus uh, people like Latinos that grew up in America and that were raised here. And it's very hard because maybe even though I didn't have the representation that I needed growing up, I still had teachers that taught me in Spanish and people that I was like, okay, this is a teacher that is just like me. You know what I mean? And that gave me some sense of hope subconsciously perhaps because the people here that I've always that have, that have always grown up in the U.S. don't really see that. So it's very different. And I think um, your mentality and your upbringing plays a lot into it. So I think a big portion of what helped me, you know, in college, like I said, some of my advantages and also the fact that I had already grown up in Mexico. I had already seen the, yeah, there's a lot of um, struggle here. But I think when you face it for 10 in Mexico, it's very different. You know, resources are much, much more scarce. And you, I think sometimes you can use that as motivation. Like, I really want to make something for myself. And if I have these other opportunities that others don't, and I have parents that will support me through college, and I have programs that will keep supporting me and offering advice and stuff like that, then maybe I have an opportunity. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that's what I really used to keep me going and feeling kind of my desire for success, basically. Um, and I think that's what I kind of attach it to, just mm -hmm. the fact that my upbringing in Mexico was very different. For for example, some of my friends that, yes, they were born in Mexico, but a lot of their lives they lived here. And so I always think about my life in Mexico. I always think of what it would have been like if I would have stayed um, I remember that when I used to go to school in Mexico, uh, I would be writing with tiny little pencils like this, and my mom would not give me a new pencil until it was completely gone. And when I got here, pencils everywhere, all the time, you know, you could get one for 50 cents at school, you could get a pad for going back to school, and the colorful ones, the pretty ones, you, I had all kinds. And so it was 
but I always kept that in mind. Like I didn't have this when I lived in Mexico. So I had to really make something out of it. So I can really feel kind of my gratitude and my thank, like I am thankful for this opportunity. Basically, So I think that's what really helped me get to where mm. I am. Um, Maria, you have touched a, a deep topic that I also can tell you that I have spoken about that with others. That is, you already came with a culture in you, a way of seeing the world before coming and being completely raised in America. So that is something to, you know, that I just want to highlight because you came maybe with different values or maybe seeing that, okay, maybe you have only a teeny pencil to write, but you also had in that context, in the small town where you li where you were living, a huge community um, to to help you, to believe in you, to be happy. Yes. That is something yeah. that I always, you know, I think it is key, if you can speak about that. Yes, I do think it's key um, because uh, even though you come to this country and Again, back to the culture shock. You're shocked. You don't really see the representation. You, you know, and in, in a way, that's a, that's a huge disadvantage because you're not seeing people that can that are like you and places that you want to be. Right? It's very scary. But in Mexico, I know that there's like a whole a whole country that runs by itself with people like me. You know what I mean? So if they can make things run, then I can work here and make things run myself even though I don't see others like myself, if that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that was a yeah, huge help. Um, you are kind of proud of where you come from, may I say it? Even though the country is, you know, Sorry. doesn't have the, the pencils, the uh, abundance of, of material things, it has uh, a sense of, of um, that it runs, that it really is a country and that people are living their lives there, that they are able and they are capable. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously there's many, many different factors to this topic, many different things about it that um, are very complex um, because they're difficult issues. And although a country like Mexico faces a lot of corruption and there is a lot of, uh, you know, inequality, people don't have a lot of opportunities or resources. And that's why they move here, you know, like my family. Um, you also have to acknowledge that uh, the people that are there are very hardworking, and they're people that that the people that stay behind and keep it, things going do it because they have the will and they have the work ethic and they know how to do it. You know, because they've been doing it for years. That's their land. So I think you always have to acknowledge that, and you always have to. It always makes me so proud of where I come from because, you know, I don't want to talk about, but it's just. Who would have thought, you know, especially like I always think about it and I'm like, well, who would have thought that I was going to be able to attend college? I don't think my grandparents or even my mom when she was in school, she would have thought, oh, I'm going to have a daughter that is going to attend university in the U.S. and she's going to get a degree or something. So I always think about that because it was their work that dates back to Mexico, the country itself, that I am able to be here today and continue that. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so yeah. beautiful what you're saying. So I just wanted to wrap it up now because I think you have shared really profound things, but I think it is important to also make like connection to, 
you know, again, these numbers that that have been exposed in a way that are showing us that there's still this lack of representation, and especially, you know, the results of these of these study that they are uh, trying to really shed light on the inequalities, especially for Latinos and Black people in America in comparison to white people, is that especially in this case, they have uh, seen that men of color or those who are identified as male are doing really poorly. Um, you know, the numbers show that they are not getting higher education, they are not acquiring their own properties, their own home, and they are not even opening their own business as much as they used to be. So one of the things that, you know, a conversation that I have had with a couple of people looking at this at this data, they have openly said to me, well, it seems like if you are a person of color, and especially if you identified as male, it's not a good idea for you to come and stay in Colorado because you will not be successful. So it is fantastic to hear from you that you are that positive story. And you also share with me that you have a brother. So if you can speak about what you see as a difference between being a Latina woman in college and also a Latino man, if you have observed differences, or not only in college, but going yeah. through the schooling. Yes, um, I think that just in our community, uh, the standards and the expectations for women and men are very different. And that is rooted in the fact that, you know, just our culture. And sometimes it is sexism, sometimes there's just gender roles. Uh, you know, the women have expectations stay at home, stay a wife. Men are expected to always be providers. And so, you know, being the oldest one in my family, I shared with you earlier, my dad always wanted a son for so he could help him work and, you know, for the family. And I always thought about my life, what it would have been like if I were a boy. Um, but I also don't think I, I would be able to be here today um, or have graduated college just because from an early age as male, I think you are expected to work and provide for your family and be that kind of like the pillar that support, right? Because my dad was that for his family, you know, for years to this day. And I don't think it's something um, that it's upset like to him or, you know, his brother. I don't think it's upsetting. It's like you're really helping your family. And that's what you want to do. Because again, we have that sense of community. As Latinos, that we always want to help each other. So you always want to, you're always inclined to help your family. And I think that plays a huge part in, in males of color. Um, and so with, with, with me being a woman, I, I knew that I couldn't probably take up these. So I, for example, I don't think I could work the job my dad does at the meat packaging plant, you know? Um, it is, it seems extremely difficult, tiring and exhausting. And I knew I didn't want that for myself because I wanted to take out more. And so I, I knew that I couldn't provide or be that support in that way. I couldn't right away out of high school work or get a job like that because I didn't think I could do it. So my best option was like, okay, if I really want to make something for myself, I'm going to go to school and take a shot at that, right? Um, and so I think it's just kind of the expectations that there are uh, for females and males in our community. And it can be difficult, but I, I, I think it's more kind of, also that representation um, 
I think as a male of color, if you go to college and you don't see other, you're like, okay, well, what am I doing here? Let me go get a job where they're going to pay me more. You know, um, even when I started college, I had a lot of friends from, from high school. Well, I had a couple of friends from high school. They were male. And um, I think after the first year, they dropped out and they started working a, a full, full-time job. And a lot of times is that I don't think it's not necessarily that they don't like school or they're bad at it or that they don't want to succeed in that term. I think it's more like the opportunity cost. Well, I'm in college right now, going to classic. And, you know, some of them did have to pay out of pocket or had to pay more than I did. I, you know, I had everything covered, but some of them didn't. So it's like, well, do I really want to be here for four years, detained this? Or could I just go work in the oil field or any packaging plant where they're going to pay me much more and I'm going to be able to succeed, right? That's kind of the mentality, like the fast success where you just want money. But I think it's going to take a while for our community and for the males in our community to realize that fast success oftentimes just gets you stuck and you also get stuck with the mentality like well I can't leave much like my father you know he's been working at the meat packaging plant for over 10 years or um 18 years now for 19 years and he has this mindset that if he leaves he won't be able to find a job elsewhere or that he's too old to do that and if he, he won't have enough to support a family right so he just gets stuck working these jobs that originally they thought they would pay them a lot and they would stay fast success kind of or financial stability but they just end up getting stuck you know so it's kind of like a short-term thing and not a long-term um if that makes sense yeah that makes completely sense it really does make sense what you're saying it's incredible what else tell me um and i i believe it's that i believe with my little brother though you know i i am very hopeful that our community keeps changing its its mentality because oftentimes uh, we do have to acknowledge that there are a lot of issues in our community that we need to address, right? In order for our community to keep, continue growing and succeeding, we have a lot of things. Like even though we, I love I love my people, I love Mexico, I love my community, but there is a lot of things wrong with it. And so, in order for us to succeed, we have to acknowledge think and kind of break these generational curses, break these stereotypes and generals within ourselves for us to really achieve long-term success. And with my brother, about you know, we always had these talks with him. I always had these talks with him, like Jose, you know, um, like well, he first of all, he didn't really experience much of the struggle growing up because he's the youngest one and. Um, he didn't see a lot of the things that I saw, right? He, for example, he didn't live, uh, he wasn't raised in Mexico like I was. Um, he just gets to visit now and is very different than actually living there. So I'm always reminding him. And when I did the, the interview with Tina and the, the people got, wrote out the article, I sent it to him and I was like, I need you to read this. And he did read it. And I was like, and I'm always for him, you know, it's been a lot. It's been a lot of uh, hard work and a lot of struggle from my parents for us to get to this point. And I know it's hard for you to really be grateful for it because you've technically grown up with it, but you've never had to be without it. But being without it is very hard. And, you know, um, this is a much bigger opportunity for you to really do something much bigger with your life. It's kind of like I'm setting a stepping stone, but it's, it's just for you to do something much, much greater, you know? And um, uh, we're always reminding him, like, Jose, 
make sure you do this. We'll say, make sure that you're doing well in school. We'll say, you have this opportunity. We'll say, you have this chance. And, and I think that's the way that we, that I, I feel comfortable knowing that he will be able to succeed in his own way, mm-hmm. you know, just because he has us, he has me who, you know, I have a college degree. He has my sisters in about a 10, one of the top engineering schools in Colorado. He, he has my other sister who is, uh, mm-hmm. and so it, it's like, he doesn't have a male figure that's done all these things, but he knows it's possible because as a woman of color have done it. Um, so I think that's my hope for my brother, that he can see like a freaking these stereotypes, a, a these things and knowing that because he has much more opportunities that we're providing for him, that he will be able to achieve higher and bigger things. Mm-hmm. But that's how I do it. I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. I have been, you know, having this conversation with Maria Bocanegra. She has been featured as part of this equity reporting project as a story of success. Not only her, because she has acquired an education, coming from a family of hardworking people, not having the means to, to, you know, have that, to acquire a higher education, but now... A sister also is going to School of Mines and, uh, you know, you have another sister that is doing well and a brother who you are hoping he will continue that tradition of success. This is such an opportunity for me to speak with you. I want to wrap it up with you and sharing with us what will be the three main things that a person acquires especially a person of color, once they are successful in college and they graduate. What is it that you have that you will tell others, go get that education because it will really make a big difference in your life? Well, um, I kind of mentioned this, Tina, and this is kind of how I always viewed it, but it, you have to look at the big picture. Oftentimes you're like, well, college is a waste of time, waste of money. What if I don't get a job after? But you really have to get in the mentality where you think long-term. So I would say don't do it for yourself, but do it for your community and do it for the generations that are to come after you. Because if you like yourself, don't want to be in a position where you have to be the first one doing everything and you see everything is so difficult and hard for you and you wish somebody else would have done it so it could have been easier, imagine how others after you are going to feel, you know? So you always kind of have to be the first one for others to really have that opportunity because nobody did it for you. You know what I mean? That would be one of the things. I would also say uh, the second thing um, would be just your character and the development. Um, growing up, you know, especially as a person of color, a minority, uh, we don't, we're not really exposed to a lot of things in this world. We're exposed to our community and the things that there are, but you don't, you don't get to interact with other cultures. You so when you're in college, you really get immersed into different worlds and you learn so much, not about yourself, not just about yourself, but about others and how the world really works beyond you, you know, so that you can work in the world outside of your community. Um, and the other thing I would say, it would just be, it, it kind of relates back to looking at the bigger picture, but take the opportunity that others don't have you know like I mentioned yeah I have faced a lot of struggles and obstacles in my life that have disadvantaged me but I also have the opportunity that others didn't so if you are 
if you're presented with an opportunity to better yourself, better your community, do something for yourself, go ahead and do it, you know, because not others, not everybody has that. And I always think about that. And I'm grateful to be able to do the things that I do because I know others don't. So fantastic. Again, Maria Bocanegra speaking with KGNU today. I have been your host, Rosana Longo Better, and this, this has been an interview as part of this project of equity reporting, highlighting the um, realities of data that is showing that our community continues to struggle in acquiring higher education, homes, and also access to businesses. But they are light at the end of the tunnel, especially when you see successful stories like yours. And I'm just wishing you the very best and wishing your sister with that amazing scholarship. I am just cannot wait to see what she's going to be doing for herself, the family, and the community. Thank you again. Thank you, Rafana. I have a great time with you today. Thank you. Have a good one.